here it is, folks. We're going to give you an intro to this version, this instance, this episode of the Monster Baby podcast. Monster Baby, a curious romp through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation, greets its 12th episode today. We are your hosts, Lisa Rowland and Ted DeMaison. And we are going to let you get right to it. But the topic of today's, of today's episode is the observer, is meta, is, is looking at the way we look at things in hopes of gaining some insight there. Gaining insight, gaining humor, gaining perspective. Yeah. Helping us live a more fruitful life in yeah. some way. And also where it's helpful and where it's not helpful. Which ways is activating that observer helpful and then in which context is it not? Yeah, we're going to give you a short little warm-up. Uh, and then I'm going to chat about, uh, Lisa asked me a couple questions about my trip to Europe. Yeah. And then we get into this whole thing about the observer and meta perspective. So It's a, it's a kind of a cool topic. I had a nice time talking about it. So it was good fun. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, rock on and we'll see you on the backside. Yep. There's another game that... Maybe we could play just a, well, maybe we'll get one story each. But it's word association, and then you say, tell that story. Like we, All right. I learned this one in, uh, where was I? England, at the Oxford conference. So we just play word association until one of us says something that the other one's like, tell me a story about that. Great. And I tell a story, we tell a story from our life, an actual real story. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with any neutral word. Balloon. Albuquerque. Tell that story. <laughs> Wow, we didn't get very far. <laughs> uh, Albuquerque. Well, Albuquerque is, my mom lives in Albuquerque. My brother lives in Albuquerque. So I've visited there many times. And there are several things that I think are really cool about Albuquerque. One is that when you come in, you drive into Albuquerque from the east, you go through Texas, just desert, 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 boring, 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 boring. And you come up, you're slowly going up the mountains. And when you cross into New Mexico, there's like a different feel, but then you have to drive a long way. You come up over the ridge through this mountain pass and you look down over the city of Albuquerque. And when you come in at night, it's like nothing, 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 nothing. You come in, it's just like Mm. lights spread out for miles. It's awesome. Wow, cool. And then Albuquerque has also got this really neat balance of Anglo, Native, and Chicano, Mexican flavor to it. Mm -hmm. And so all three feel very present everywhere you go. And I I like all three of those cultures. And so... I enjoy being there. It's a very uh, hardworking city. Santa Fe is kind of new agey, and Taos is luxury retreat. And Albuquerque ski. is Albuquerque is like just Get people. Out of business. Yeah, there's a university, but it's like we're in a city. We're in a town. It's a government city. Mm-hmm. That's Albuquerque. Okay, Albuquerque. Turquoise. Uh, Caribbean. Pirates. Did you say pirates? Yeah. Mm. Uh, Disney. World. Travel. Plans. Uh, brochure. Pamphlet. Hmm. Jehovah's Witness. Doorbell. Tell that story. Hmm. A doorbell story. Doorbell takes me to... Doorbell. Well, this is the only, this is the only story I can think of. But it's, I'm certain that it's co- colored by the fact that it came from Jehovah's Witness. But there was a... I have really strong memories of talking about religion growing up because I was not raised in any particular religion and I was kind of fascinated by people who went to church 
every Sunday. <laughs> I was like, what is it? do they like? What do they actually believe? And what are these stories that they're telling? And what are they just stories or are they real beliefs? Like, I was really interested in it. Kind of curious. It's, yeah, yeah. And so I have all of these. I, I have these very, very vivid memories of moments having to do with religion growing up. And one of them was a guy came to our door, you know, to preach the word. And he was this old guy, and he was making sure that I believed, like, that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, basically. Wanted to save your soul. Yeah, yeah. And I remember him saying, I just can't sit around and watch my entire town go to hell. Like, that was his, he was felt really strongly about it. And I remember kind of arguing with him a little bit. And, you know, I don't think it went anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, I remember that guy coming to the door, and remember thinking, "God, that's arrogant." Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny from from a perspective of non-believer, it comes off as arrogant, and from the perspective of the believer, it's, it's kindness, very generous. Yeah, it's like, like I'm just going to take my time, my free time and come out and I save people. I need to go save these people yeah. because they, I don't want to see I don't want to see horrible things happen to them. Yeah. You know that's why the why the Mormons are so into genealogy. Did you know that the Mormons are into genealogy? I did know that. The reason is because you can posthumously convert people, save somebody's soul. Yes, because they're just hanging out waiting to be saved. I do know that. But if you do a proxy baptism, right, they can get in. I know somebody who stood in stood proxy for dead people from one of their ancestors or some other. No, just just random. Yeah, like not even somebody who was related to them. Mm. Just. So pick a name from the book. Right. Like, we, we're doing this person today. Check that one off. I mean, I've heard they converted Abraham Lincoln. Wow. Uh, to me, I'm like, keep your hands off my soul. But not that I, I don't, I think that even now or after I die, if you decide to convert me, that's, that could be a story that you tell yourself. It's funny. I haven't even, I've never thought of it as being a conversion thing. I've thought about it as a cleansing thing or like, you know, but I suppose they're, Parallel or intertwined or whatever, but yeah, I mean, like now you have made it so that now I will be. Now right. I am worthy to go to heaven or able to go yes. to heaven or able to pass into. I think I've fra- tried to frame it more generously in my own thinking, just like, oh, you're just trying to get me in. Great, thank you. You know, yeah, that's, as opposed that's a nice. To, as opposed to like you're trying to make me believe something I didn't believe when I was alive. Right. I mean, but we're dead. Could be either. Yeah. So anyway, I like that game. Yeah, it's nice. It's a nice way to get to some... Stories that you don't usually tell. Unlikely stories. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not like this Albuquerque thing was the most intense thing I've ever shared with you, but it's a little interesting. I, yeah. I don't think I've, we'd have talked about Albuquerque before. Yeah, no. And I definitely never heard about this guy. Do you have an impression this of this guy? guy? I can't. Did I have a crush on him? No, an impression. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a crush on this guy? Nah, that'd be really creepy. Like eleven. <laughs> um, I was probably older than that. An impression of him. He had a slightly southern accent. Kind of like, kind of like old, old, just an old. You know, I'm not going to sit around and watch my, you know, this whole town go to hell. You know, it was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. White hair, dressed very nicely. Sharply dressed. Sharply dressed. It was hot. It was okay. a hot day. So let's let's kick off our. Let's do it our topic for the day but before we do i actually oh i actually so we have a topic that we want to explore today but before we do that i would love to do a brief chapter on your travels oh brief chapter i just have a couple of questions for okay. you. okay 
This is, we're talking about my travels to Europe because I was gone for a month. Yeah, doing a, a really solid intermingled, you know, sequence of experiences, which yes. were, which had directly to do with improvisation at the, yes. Applied Improvisation, at the Applied Improvisation Network, but also doing a training in teaching mindfulness. Yes. And so like very, a very steeped, and then also some pleasure. Yeah. And, pleasure and travel. the pleasure travel, the whole trip felt very improvisational. I had to think of where I was going to be when, to some degree, but there was a lot that I didn't know going in, what was going to happen. I love it. Okay, so so tell me the countries that you that you hit. Just tell, give us a brief overview of where you went. Okay, flew into Munich. Munich for a day. Great. Boom, fly to Berlin. Great. Berlin for for four days. Take a train to Aarhus, Denmark. All of this is for fun, visiting this people. This is the fun part. Yeah, visiting friends. Uh, in Aarhus for a day, we go up to a town called Skane at the very tip of Denmark. They call it the northern tip of Europe. Of course, the Finns and the Swedes and the you know, folks further north might have questions about that. But, <laughs> right. But, uh, and even the English. Um, but so I was there for a, a day or two, and then we went back to Aarhus then I took a train to Amsterdam, was there during the Pride Parade, the canal-based, water-based Pride Parade, which Amazing. was 800,000 people from all over. It was the Euro Pride Parade. It wasn't just Amsterdam. And then um, took a train and a bus to Calais, France, got on the ferry, met some friends, got on the ferry, spent the night in Dover, England in a camper. And then we drove to Oxford, was in Oxford for a week. For this was for AIN. For the Applied Improvisation Network. Great group of people. And then there I met a guy named Andy Middleton and went to the coast of Wales. And he took me on some amazing outdoor adventures. And was that planned or was that Un impromptu? Didn't because you just before. met him and yep. he was like, come on over. And you didn't have plans until you went. I had this four days in between AIN. And the next thing I was doing, I was like, I don't know what. I, maybe I'm going to go to Turkey. Maybe I'll go back to Denmark. Maybe I will go visit Stonehenge. We'll see. But so I met Andy, totally hit it off with him, wanted to go hang out with him. He's awesome. We had a great time. Did that for four days, and I took a train up to York and went to Ampleforth Abbey, a monastery, to a mindfulness training. At the end of that, took a train to London, spent the night with a buddy from graduate school who I hadn't seen in a bunch of years, a wonderful guy named Roy, and then flew home. Cool. It was an amazing adventure. Amazing. It was beautiful. Very fortunate. To Over be a month, it. right? It was exactly a month. Exactly a month. So maybe you just answered this question, but my first question is, outside of the of the formal improvisation events that you did, like the Applied Improv Network and things like that, what was the most improvisational moment of your trip? And maybe it was this, the whales, so, you know. Yes, it was, I would say it was the whales trip. I knew that going in that that was going to be, that was the completely open time, no idea what that was going to be. Um, and what was really interesting was I had a very strong hit of, I want to, I need to go spend time with this guy, Andy. But the question was... That like we, after you met him, you had this yep, hit? Yeah. During the conference. And I had the opportunity, I could have waited a day or two to go to Wales and just spent a couple extra days with some friends in London who were staying after the conference. And I... Debate. I had to debate about that, and I decided, no, go to Wales, go to Wales. So I went, and 
it felt like the right thing. It gave me more time there. I relaxed. I settled into it. I didn't spend all the time with Andy because he had work to do, but I walked around. I explored. Uh, I slept. Had some nice meals with some people I met. There was actually a guy who came out from the conference who I didn't expect. When I made plans with Andy, it was just going to be me and Andy. Mm-hmm. And when I originally heard that he this other guy was coming, I was a little bit disappointed. Like, ah, I wanted Andy to myself. Yeah. But then I challenged myself, like, well, don't be selfish and trust these things to work out. And it turned out to be fine. Yeah. Uh, and this guy and I actually had a few meals together because we kept running into each other and he came along for some of the stuff I did with Andy. And, nice. Yeah. Um, but finding, you know, what train am I going to take and where am I going to meet him and how am I going to get back to the thing up in in York? It was all, I didn't know. Cool. Way easier with technology. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm making train purchases on my phone and you know, the timing is exactly, I'm like, I'm catching a train with four minutes to spare or three minutes to spare because it all works out and yeah, stuff that I don't know how we would have done it 15 years ago. But it's just like, okay, paid for, boom, yeah. press this button, you know. Yeah. Um, but I got to go, Andy does this thing called co-steering, which is like mountaineering. But on the coast. But on the coast. And so you put on a helmet, you put on a wetsuit, you put on sneakers and you just go out onto the rocks and you go walk along the coast and you jump in the water and swim around the coast when you can't climb on the rocks and you get back up on the rocks and you have to look out for the barnacles and you're going up and down and jumping in and Whoa. carried by the tide and in these you know cool formations that are spraying water everywhere and then you yeah. come out and totally exhilarating and I thought it was going to be freezing but it wasn't and um, I felt so alive it was felt very improvisational and meditational uh-huh. ah. right so it's yeah. like you're having to walk on the rocks and monitor your balance. So you're improvising what steps you're going. And if you move quickly, you actually keep better balance than if you try to cling to a rock and stay safe. So it, like, hmm, this sounds like life. Yeah. You know, but it also, I, it's been a while since I've been out in the natural world like that. And yeah. we didn't see anybody else the whole time we were like out really there. Really engaging in, in wild, wildness. Yeah. And you have to stay alert because... It's wild. Stuff could go wrong. Yeah. If you're not paying attention. Yeah. If you're paying attention, it's fine. Right. But I jumped off uh, an eight-foot cliff and then a 15-foot cliff and then like a 22-foot cliff or something. Into the water? Into the water. Oh, good Lord. It was so great. And this is not something that I typically have done. Yeah. But it was really fun. And, And Andy's a ton of fun. He's got the most amazing family. They all have beautiful, significant others, and they were all there. Oh, Oh, he's not a young person. No, he's in his 50s. And uh, got it. Cool. I think he's in his 50s. Uh, and his wife is lovely and generous, and they have this amazing home right on the coast, oh. looking out over the cliffs. And so you go there, and we just had a we had a dinner on their back lawn, this big, long table, all of the family. Everybody's friendly. Everybody's smart. We're all playing improv games. He's got a slack line out between a rock and a post. So cool. Playing frisbee and oh they go. Oh my god! So yeah. maybe you just answered my next question, which is, what was the most inspiring thing that you did, learned, or learned about while you were there? Like, what really lit you up? Yeah, a lot of the conversations we had with him. He's. It was the first time at the conference I had seen somebody talk about using improv to make a difference in what's happening with the planet. Mm-hmm. 
in terms of the natural world. There's people who've been doing climate change. How do humans respond? How do we respond to disaster? But he was talking about like helping heal the planet. And so that really intrigued me. And then he wants to get out and help people develop a love for nature because they'll protect it if they love it. Yeah. And we came up with a little, I had an idea. I said, you know, as we were going around and thinking in mindfulness and improv, there's this practice of paying attention to something, breathing to it. And if you do that, when you really observe something, you get more affectionate with it. Like you care about it more. Yeah. And so he had said, you protect what you love. So we want to help you love nature. And we were sort of like, well, we want to help you pay attention, observe nature, connect with it. Because what you connect with, what you see, what you notice, you will love. And what you love, you will protect. So we were talking about how do we bring mindfulness into his outdoor adventures. Cool. What's a little practice you could start when you bring a group of teenagers out to get them present. Yeah. So they're really paying attention to what's happening. Great. And so that was a like, really ooh, lovely. Yeah. I want to work with this guy more. Yeah, you know? inspiring of like, yes, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. This pulls me in a direction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. So to, and you know, that goes back to my days as an environmental educator and working with Joanna Macy and thinking about despair and how do we handle our feelings about what's happening to the planet. I, I often struggle with that. Like, oh, just, I can't believe we're still working on things that we knew were terrible 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet we just got to face it, yeah. you know? So it was really inspiring to be with him and think maybe the skills we we're working on now, these mindfulness and improv skills can be applied to helping heal the planet. Yeah. I love that all of that came out of something that you did not know you were going to do mm -hmm. when you went into it, sure. like a discovered moment on your trip. Yep. That that's, was delicious that way. It's awesome. And every moment I was out there in Wales, it's just stunning, stunningly beautiful cloudy, rainy, sunny, windy. It's like, no wonder poets live out here. Yeah. Right? Uh, but every moment I was out there, I was like, this is incredible. There was one night where it was raining and I had, we had spent the night at Andy's place. It was the, more, the night before I was leaving. So I was leaving early in the morning and I was assuming he was going to give me a ride back to where I was staying. And he was like, oh, yeah, the bike's out in the garage. I'm like, oh, jeez, you're expecting me to ride. <laughs> and I had a bit of like a, really? But he had been, he had had a few drinks, so he couldn't drive me back. Yeah. I was like, well, I guess I'm go. riding. So yeah. I'm like riding in the rain and the wind. Is and it this dark? Totally it dark. There's oh, no oh lights. There's no <laughs> lights. We're on the wrong side of the road. Terrifying. Well, the left side of the road, I should say. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it's maybe a 15-minute ride back into town. Anyway. I got back in and I felt like, whew, that was alive. Okay, that was fine that I yeah. didn't get a ride. But yeah, stuff like that was happening all the time. Great. Mm -hmm. Great. Cool. Yeah. So Hooray for leaving room for the un unforeseeable. It's really fun to do a trip that way. Really fun. Thank you for asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we've got, uh, we've got our topic here. Yeah. Uh, which is playing with this notion of meta views or like getting an observer position on whatever's happening. Does that sound like a right yeah, explanation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a, a meta, a meta view or the, I, the observer I think is a very interesting character. Right. I, I want to explore the character of the observer. All right. That's what I'm interested okay. in so, and how it shows up. I think both in improv and in, and in mindfulness. Yeah. Both 
super important for both. Yeah. So Ted and I, we just finished a monster, uh, say monster baby retreat, which I think is what maybe ultimately we'll end up calling it. But we had one of our retreats this weekend, this past weekend, and really talked about that this meta came up over and over and over again mm -hmm. in the way that we played together and had conversations about the ways we were having conversations and things like that. And so it kind of arose out of the work that we were doing this weekend. Yeah. So I, before we go on, I want to make sure we clarify what we mean by meta. And we're saying M-E-T-A. Yes. Because M-E-T-T-A in Buddhist circles is loving kindness, meta. Which is kind of nice. Right. It's also nice. But, but not what we're talking Those about. of you who think we're talking about that, not quite. Uh, meta, M-E-T-A. I don't even know. Oh, it means next to. It means next to. We learned this because we had a Latin major in, <laughs> on our retreat, which was amazing. Thank so you, Noel. A meta... Yeah, something that is next to, that is not kind of in line with, but is off to the side of, and therefore, the way, my interpretation of it is that therefore you can look in look on that in. thing. I yeah. think of it as having a little bit wider boundary. So if we were to have, we're having a conversation now, if we were to start talking about the dynamics, who's speaking, how loud it is, what kind yeah. of words we're using, that would be a meta conversation. Talking about, yeah, we're having a conversation about the conversation. Right. Or when we do, one time we did an improv, a first date scene. You know, a first date game? So in, in improv, right. we do this game where we pull people up and we reenact their, like a day in the life or their first date. And we pull, and they tell us if we're right or, or, they're, or we're wrong. And they were on their first date. So we were reenacting the night that included the moment we were living, right? It was like a, another yes. layer of looking at right. doing a show within a show kind of thing. Great. It was and, cool. and then the other example that came up during our retreat was if you did a documentary about documentaries. Yeah. That would be a meta documentary. Yeah. And I love that somebody then said, yes, and what if you had a documentary about the decision of what documentaries to put into that meta documentary yeah exactly that's a meta meta documentary right, so anyway yeah. we so could just all these layers of looking at the looking at what's happening rather than just being in the moment yeah got it which is kind of an interesting it's a really interesting question yeah so where shall we where shall we start Well, what do you tell what do you find interesting about this question why are you okay. juiced up about talking about it i think it's awesome because there is a tension here on one, in one sense in my life and especially when I'm on stage performing, I want to be in the moment, not like thinking about the moment, right. but just fully embodied, feeling... Carried away by it, swept like, up in it. Like in tune with it, yes. right? Like riding a wave, I'm right there. So on one level, that's an ideal. And... It seems to me that this meta perspective has a very healing, calming, stabilizing quality to it in both improv and in mindfulness. And it can also be delightful, like it can show great insights or it can create great humor. Uh -huh. And so I'm fascinated by this tension of, well, what, what are we, which are we shooting for? Right. The full embodiment? In, improv. in both, in improv and in life. Right. So, it's like, if I'm caught up in my emotions, maybe, you know, a mindfulness practice can help me settle a little bit. And we'll probably get into more detail about that. 
But maybe I just want to experience the emotions and right, have, exactly. the, have the surf ride. Exactly. Get tossed by the waves. Like, it can go too far. <clears throat> yeah. And, and this is an interesting critique of Buddhism that I've heard some people give. Is like, well, if I'm trying to remove myself from attachment to things so that I'm not suffering, do I then remove myself from the, the joy? Right. I think most Buddhists would say, no, you don't, but it's a different kind of joy that you find. There's a contentment. There's a, a joy from being alive, from being in tune with the winds and the waves and the... From noticing them. From noticing, from, from, yeah, because most of our lives, we think we're getting swept up, but we're actually not really present for it. Mm-hmm. Right, because we're actually thinking about the future of the past and yeah, right. making all these other associations. We're rarely actually present, right? Even though we think we are. So yeah, I'm fascinated by that tension. Yeah, I, I watch really skillful, experienced folks do scenes. I'm like, how the heck are you guys remembering that we need to bring this thing back in? You know, we mentioned there was a knife in the closet in the first scene, right. and we've been going for half an hour, and I'm still trying to remember the names of the characters and like. So somebody on stage remembers the knife and goes back to it like, what? Mm-hmm. Was, oh my God, that's so great. Yeah. You know, so they have that meta perspective on what does the story need? Right, right. So. Yeah. There's a great improviser named Ben Johnson. You know Ben Johnson. And he has said, this is, I think this is an interesting commentary on the place of meta, of a meta view in, in improv, in the mm. practice of improv is he says that when I'm on stage, I want to be thinking and feeling the thoughts and feelings of my character. And that's the only thing that I care about is climbing into their experience and responding as honestly as I can from their thoughts and feelings, their perspective, their point of view. When I'm off stage, I'm an improviser thinking about this story. I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm a director. I'm oh. thinking about promises that we've made. I'm thinking about what does a story need in order to fulfill the promises that we set out by promising that we're going to do film noir, promising we're going to do mystery, or promising we're going to do a romantic comedy or whatever it is. Like, have we done it? What suggestions do we have that we haven't used yet? Like, doing the, the who's pulling the puppet strings. Right. But when he's on stage, he's just trying to be in the flow of... Interesting. He's acting. So he's kind of got a toggle switch. And when he's off stage, he's writing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so there's a, that's, I think that's an interesting... That's the, off stage is the place for meta. On stage is not. And... and there's no yeah. hard lines here, but but that's an interesting thing of like, when do you want to notice the story you're telling and when do you just want to be in the story? Okay, like so, commit to the reality of the story. So let me make a jump then. How is that applicable in real life? When are we, When is on stage in real life? That's a great question. When is off stage? Yeah. I don't know. The thought that comes to mind, like I'm thinking of being on a date, right? You're when I'm in the date, I just want to be in the date. Yeah. And then... When I go home that night and I, I like go back and reflect or write my journal right. or how was that? Did I, did I say the things I wanted to say? Was I bold enough? Was right. I generous enough? Is is this the kind of time that I want to be? Right, like you yeah, those kind kinds of, of questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Asking yourself, but the, on the date, am I in line? I don't want to be asking those questions. Right, right. But that's you know. Yeah. I, I think that's a that's a nice way of articulating a balance that I would shoot for between being involved and reflective. Mm-hmm. But there's times for each. Yeah. There's times for yes and, and there's times for we have to evaluate these ideas. That's now. right. Yeah. You know? That's really interesting. I, yeah. I mean, I think one of the times, I don't know that this applies so much in an improv setting, but when it's really helpful is when it, things are really hard. 
And so if the emotions are so overwhelming that the rest of the system can't, it gets hijacked, mm -hmm. that the meta is really helpful, right? And so I often, I don't remember who said this first, but um, I've heard the idea that it's like, well, when you're feeling angry and overwhelmed by your anger, the witness to your anger isn't angry. Right. So if you can occupy that witness space and notice your anger, look at it and be like, oh, how about that? I'm angry. Right. Or sad or whatever. Or sad it is, right? or, yeah, or jealous or, or back up off it disgusted. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're, really, so you're having a really strong reaction. Right. And so this is a, this is a hard day. I mean, it happened with me in a softball game the other night. I just got so pissed about this other competitor and some choices she made. And, and I was pissed with the umpire. I like, I got so angry and I, I was able to step back and not get as caught in it as I would have been. Yeah. It's still sat with me the rest of the game but it wasn't overwhelming me right because i was able to take this perspective right and sometimes i think that we need a few layers after the earthquake in 1989 out here in california i was so i had a phobia about earthquakes so anytime the there was a rumble or whatever i got this surge of emotions and like a train goes by yeah, or a, a truck or a garbage whatever yeah. and so i did some neurolinguistic programming which is a way of using our mental patterns to heal and it's a little bit like hypnosis in some ways but not quite and the guy who was leading me through was having me imagine the scene of the earthquake on a movie screen so this was kind of a meta jump to say i'm in the audience in the theater looking at this and he was watching me and was noticing that it was still agitating for me to imagine it so he said okay why don't you put yourself in the projector booth watching yourself in the theater watching this on screen uh. And replay it. And he's watching me. And it was still causing me, like I was sweating or my face was getting flushed. Anxiety, yeah. So he said, okay, imagine yourself in the lobby, watching yourself in the projector booth, watching the guy in the theater, watching this. Just further removed, further removed, further removed. And that was finally enough distance to get on it. And then I could play it and we could do some games with it where he, we ran it forwards and backwards and he had me make it funny. Like he said, I want you to imagine everybody in this movie has a butt for a head. <laughs> so it's like, great. Okay, so now people are like getting bounced around by the yeah. earthquake. But it was funny. Yeah. You're and kind of tricking yourself into engaging with this yeah, material. I've got enough distance. I can engage with it, right? Yeah. So then at the end of it, it was like, okay, now step into the theater booth. Now step into the theater. Now can you step into the scene? And we had healed it enough that I could come back into my own experience. Yeah. And since then, I haven't been afraid of earthquakes. Uh -huh. I, I was in an earthquake couple of years ago when we were up at, we were up at Black Mountain on our retreat. Right. Where there was one at like three in the morning and I woke up and with a start and I was like, hmm, was that an earthquake? And I... It didn't freak you out. didn't freak me out. I yeah. checked on the phone and it was and USGS, you know, their, their earthquake app. And then I went back to sleep. Yeah. It was fine. So anyway, all those layers of distance allow you to work with a feeling to get some perspective on it so you find the place where you're not agitated so you can be with the agitation in a different way right you're not you're not being driven by it you can notice it exactly yeah and i think that's really cool and that sometimes life buffets us in a way that we have to we need that perspective yeah we need to be able to get that distance right you know? right because we were playing with this notion of meta on the retreat we just did I thought it got us to some really creative places. 
So we were playing the game, I am a tree. Mm -hmm. So we had taught our folks that, but then we were playing with this idea of meta. And so we said, let's play a version of this entitled where we're encouraging a meta perspective. Yeah, where we're looking for an opportunity to get meta. And the title of the game was, I am playing, I am a tree. Yeah, yeah. which I think it just cracks me up. <laughs> but so now in the game, it's like we're looking for ways to say, whoa, let's pull back out. Yeah, so the, so the way that I was, I don't know what your question is, if you have a question. Why was that so funny? Yeah. Why did the meta, why was it so delightful? I, I found it even more engaging than regular I am a tree. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah. Maybe because... Well, it's interesting. I mean, in a, in a little way, it's like pulling the rug out from under mm -hmm. because it's like, I'm, you say I'm a, whatever, a soldier. I'm a soldier. I'm a uniform. And then I say, I'm the film director setting up a shot. And it's like, oh, I was getting invested in the soldier in uniform. I thought I was in one story and now I discover that I'm in another. So it's kind of filled, it's filled with surprise and, mm -hmm. and wonder in that way. And, and... I, I don't know. So maybe that's why it was engaging and, del and delightful. I think it does amplify the opportunity or it ups the likelihood of surprise. Right, right. It, because every time you pull a meta move, it's a context shift. Right. And there's a, it's a, oh, I thought we were here, but we're actually in this totally different thing. Yeah. And the thing that I, so the, so the connection that I found that's interesting that I found actually also interesting into my, the experience of my life is the question who's watching this mm -hmm. right because that's kind of what we're going for is like who's watching this thing happen if, if there's two soldiers talking who's watching that is it a documentary is it a film director is it is it an author who's writing a story mm -hmm. about these two authors and then now we're in the world of the author and and then who's watching that you know is it the child looking through a, his his grandmother's photo album and she's the author you know writing about the soldiers so who's watching this is an interesting question and and it comes into my life in a really interesting way because there are answers to that question that are very helpful for me and there are answers to that question that are very that are really not helpful. oh interesting and so who the observer is of my, of this moment in my life is really interesting i actually feel the presence of an outside observer a lot that's and not I, you it's not me and i always have been so when i write in my journal it is always present for me that someday i'm gonna die and somebody's gonna read this oh an outside observer that way y yes like a post fact observer that well that's one of that's one of the things right it's mm. like i'm writing my journal but i'm always thinking like how does this sound oh wow because someday someone's gonna go through this my, if I have children, some my children are going to go through it, or Fiona's going to go through it when I die, or whatever. You know, Fiona, like, your niece. Fiona's yeah. my niece. So the, you know, I, which is troubling to me because it means that I can never really, I'm never really just in the flow of my thoughts because I'm. It's, it's tricky I, because I, I have this idea that some someday somebody's going to see this, and so I want to. So I'm aware of how I'm coming across. Yeah, so that, I feel like I'm always putting, like making an impression. That's so interesting because you're, in that case, you're concerned about a future observer, mm -hmm. yeah. not the observer in the moment, right. the part of you that is observing yourself doing this thing. Right. Yeah. No, it's not that. But I've noticed that about myself. It's like, this is weird. Why am I doing that? You know, it's like yeah. an interesting thing. The helpful observer, the helpful meta move of my own life or like meta lens of my own life mm -hmm. is my future self. So myself, 50 years from now, mm. looking back on me now. 
That is a very helpful. Does she give you advice? Yeah, because she's because yeah. she is eighty four, and she's old, right? And that's like a long time from now, right? And so she's probably looking at me with this view of like, girl, you got the whole world in front of you. Waste like you have yeah. any, you could have anything you want. Anything you want, just go for it. Like, you don't even know what kind of opportunities are available to you. And so she empowers me. Like, this outside mm-hmm. observer of, of like, what if I were myself in 50 years or even 15 years mm-hmm. looking at myself now? Like, any time that I start to feel stuck or if I notice myself in inaction, I just, like, cast myself forward 20 years and it's like, what were you doing? You know, so it has it has this little like I don't want that person to feel regret. I don't want to be regretful right. of some inaction, and she makes me look really optimistically at my life. Right, she's motivating. Totally. You ever go the other direction, look, where you have a meta from your younger self? No, I looking never have. At, looking at your life, going, "Wow, I love who Lisa's become. <laughs> I can't believe she does that." No, I never have done. Uh huh. I never have. Joanna Macy, who is an amazing teacher, and again. Does all this stuff with despair and empowerment. Does this work she calls deep time, where she introduces the perspective of our descendants, you know, thousands of years from now. What would they say to us in this moment when all of life, human life is hanging in the balance and so much of life on earth is hanging in the balance? What would they say about to us Yeah. to encourage us in this moment, to give us courage? Right. Or in the other direction, the wisdom of our stardust ancestors or you know the multi-cell organisms reaching forward to become us and to become everything that's on the planet now yeah what wisdom would they have to share right and it it does the similar thing of motivate and give perspective you give perspective it's this like bigger perspective which actually when i was thinking about this topic our our never to see the light of day episode on story that we have never done. I feel like this is where story I find story really interesting is is in terms of putting this moment that I'm in into a larger perspective of like, oh, this is the part of the story where I feel like shit. Right? So it's like in a really dark time, it's like, oh right, stories have this part. This is the part of the story right. where things are really, really dark. And and calling it this part of the story, part of it is that it 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 removes me a little bit, right? It looks yeah. it, it puts my perspective as one of a person looking at looking at a story or telling a story or reading a story yes. or watching a movie um by the way i this is how i handle getting scared in horror films whenever i'm in a room where i'm watching a scary movie which i don't enjoy i i like get me really either. scared i just tell myself oh this is how they made me feel scared listen to the music that's interesting yep. oh look yep. at the oh the, this a camera angle so i like imagine the people making the film what the soundstage looks yep. like how they I wonder what take this was that we're watching, you know. Total meta move. Totally. To like take myself out of getting carried away into the fear. But I feel like it's it's the same thing of back up and be like, oh, this is right. This is because in the story yeah. of my life, I'm at I'm at this part of it. And and talking about it in terms of with a perspective that started long ago and that will continue for a long time after means that this moment is not all there is. There's much more than this moment. So I don't have to worry about this moment feeling bad or scary or lost or stuck mm-hmm. because this is not the end of my story. I'm in the middle, somewhere in the middle of my story. There's a, um, again, thinking about what's going on in the world, there's a song by a guy named David Wilcox, who was one of my favorite 
singers called Show the Way. And this is the very same thing that it starts with them. You say you see no hope. You say you see no reason we should dream that the world would ever change, that love is foolish to believe, or there'll always be some crazy with an army or a knife to wake you from your daydream, to go and put the fear back in your life. And then it like introduces this meta perspective. He says, if someone wrote a play just to glorify what's stronger than hate, would they not arrange the stage to look as if the hero came too late? Mm. She's almost in defeat. It's looking like the evil side will win. So on the edge of every seat from the moment that the whole thing begins, and this is the chorus, it's love who mixed the mortar. It's love who stacked these stones. It's love who made the stage here, although it looks like we're alone. In this scene set in shadows, like the night is here to stay, there's evil cast around us, but it's love who wrote the play. And in this darkness, love will show the way. Who wrote the play, yeah. 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 You know, so like whenever I hear this song, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it really looks bad right it now. It really looks bad, but love wrote this play. Love wrote this play, yeah. and love, it's going to turn. It's going to yeah. turn, because it looks really bad. But just that meta perspective. In the retreat, there was a moment that you... I remember you were like, oh, you got an insight for yourself. And we were talking about oh, the watching, yeah, watching thoughts as if they were a, a stream. Yeah. And watching leaves come down, you know. It, it wasn't thoughts, leaves, though. It wasn't thoughts. It was, it was like your, your life. life. Okay. It was like the, the sequence of my actions and what's going on and what is driving me and how, like, how I'm moving through my days and my weeks. And we were talking about the current of a river and how it just takes you away. You don't even really notice it, maybe, right? So in the same way that if you were kind of floating on a, on a river or in a lake or something and there was some wind blowing, but you kind of didn't notice it and then you're chatting with a friend and then you look around and you realize that you're halfway down the lake. Right. In that way, it's like you're, you're just, that's just, you don't even notice that mm -hmm. you're being moved. You're just being moved through it. And so there was this moment of realizing that I had to get out of the current and the, the, double meaning of current and the current current moment and the current that's moving me and getting out of the current so that I can kind of notice the current. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, was was cool. And to like, hold on, what current am I in? What Both moment and action. Right, and flowing stream. Yeah. We didn't mention it at the time. There's a standard mindfulness exercise called the Raisin Meditation. Raisin? Raisin, like a dried grape. Yeah. You take a raisin and you look at it and you smell it and you notice it very carefully as a if you had... physical raisin? Physical raisin, as if you'd never seen it before. Uh -huh. And then you eat it very slowly, you place it on your tongue and you you know, close your eyes. It's quite powerful, actually. You could do it with a raspberry piece of chocolate or whatever. Anything, yeah. But I was thinking, if you were to do your little current thing with a current, <laughs> C-U-R-R-A-N-T... On every level. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, notice the current. I'm in the current. With the, the current. Stream current. <laughs> eating a current. <laughs> reading a newspaper for current events. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, I think going back to that Ben perspective of like live it and then come out and take a look at it like this. I think that's a nice way to integrate this healing property of taking this perspective. I, I, like I said, I also think it's just funny. There's to play, to play with it. To play with it and to yeah. just, like, yeah, I mean, like, uh, crappy stuff happens. And the, I don't know who said this, but like, 
well, 15 years from now, it'll be funny. Yeah. Usually it is. Yeah. Not always, but usually like it's just ridiculous that something happened that way and right. and we can laugh about it. So if we can, why not take that perspective right away? Right away, yeah. And just use it, you know. I think the first time I ever recognized the comedic value of this perspective was when I was at a folk music festival in upstate New York called the Falcon Ridge Folk Festival. And this acapella group came on. I'd never heard of them before. They were called Da Vinci's Notebook. And they do, they are absolutely hilarious. They don't perform anymore, but they are super high energy, four guys, really tight harmonies, really funny lyrics, bouncing all over the stage. They were remarkable. But they did a song called Title of the Song. Mm-hmm. And it was like a boy band tune. And um, I printed out the lyrics because it, Maybe I'll try to sing it, but it's like, um, Declaration of my feelings for you. Elaboration on those feelings. Description of how long these feelings have existed. Belief that no one else could feel the same as I. Yeah. Yeah, So it just goes on and on, like all these things that the boys are talking about about the lyrics of the song. Yeah. And then the chorus is, Title of the song, naive expression of love, reluctance to accept that you are gone. Yeah. Request to turn back time and rectify my wrongs. Repetition of the title of the, the song. song. <laughs> I, I was literally rolling on my blanket laughing. Yeah. I could not stop laughing. So I maybe mentioned this to you at the retreat because I think you, you brought... I, I maybe you've told this to me before. But there's a song by Blues, Travel, Blues Traveler called The Hook. The Hook. Oh, the hook will bring you back. And it's all about the parts of how you write a song that's going to be popular. So... It's not about the content of a song. Mm-hmm. It's like the hook will bring you back. You don't need to worry about what you're saying here because nobody's listening anyway. <laughs> uh, but at this point, you need to have kind of a catchy tune that, that people can grab onto and then the hook will bring you back. And so it's it's like describing the structure of the song in the lyrics of the song as it's being sung. And does it still work? It's a great song. He's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. And I actually didn't realize that this was what the song was about until years later. And I was right. listening and I was like, whoa, yeah. wait a minute. There's also a really funny TED Talk, which is about giving TED Talks. Yes, I've seen that. And the guy's like, now I'm going to move over to the side of the stage because this is going to signify to you that something really important is going to come. And then I'm going to slow down and drop my voice. <laughs> Yes. I'll take off my glasses to suggest that, in fact, we're more intimate now. <laughs> yes. And I'll step back towards the middle, you know. Yeah. And it's really brilliant. It's and those a, are the only words he says. 18 yeah, minutes of just yeah. all meta. It's hilarious, and it's also insightful to the ways that we get manipulated. Yeah. I just love that stuff. Or the, the things that send us messages, right? I mean, it's it's an interesting framing. The, the, th- way, the, the ways that we get oh, manipulated right, yes. or what what sends us the messages that we... Right. That we put stock What's in. What's working. Yeah. I mean, it's... So do you think, can everybody do this? Can we train to do it? Do what? Is it, take this meta leap. I think so. I mean, you know, is it a personality thing? I don't think so. I think that if people want to do it, then they can. And how do you practice it? How do you develop the ability to do it? Well, I mean, I guess meditation helps. 
because in meditation, it's this is another interesting tension because in meditation, I feel like you're looking at your, you're watching yourself in a way, right? Mm -hmm. You're noticing when you're thinking and bringing it back kind of like instead of just doing what your brain does, you're right. noticing what your brain does. Honing but ultimately focus. the goal is to be right. Like if you find yourself in a really calm, focused place where you're really just kind of in your breath or in your body, you're just in the moment and then you go, Hey, I'm doing it. Then you've lost it. Right. Right. So you're, you're, then it's gone then. So it's almost like you've got to be meta until you don't need to be anymore. Mm. Maybe. Almost. I don't know. But I, but it feels like sitting every day and just noticing, noticing your thoughts is a way to do it. Mm hmm. And being kind with yourself. And then and then I think that the biggest thing is that when you find yourself having a reaction, to respond to that reaction with curiosity and kindness. Of like, oh, oh she really pushes my buttons. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Instead of just like, I remember once I, uh, I dated somebody who responded, who immediately assigned, just ascribed malintent to people all the time, right? Mm. He's an asshole. He wants to screw me over. Well, they're just totally inconsiderate. Da, da, da. And I was like, it could just be that they're having a bad day and it has nothing to do with you, right? It could be that they're not actually trying to screw you over. And I asked him once, I said, why do you think it is that you assume poor, like bad intent kind of, right. to people? Kind of, And that was like a little meta moment of like, hey, I noticed this pattern in your behavior. Why do you think you've developed that pattern? And he was like, well, when people are assholes, I notice. And I was like, oh, okay, you're not interested in having this conversation. Yeah. Got it. And the relationship did not last much longer. Were you able to talk with him about that? <laughs> you clearly <laughs> know. Meta on the non-meta. Like, oh, do you notice that you're not able to look right. at your own behavior? I mean, but it was over and over in, in many different, in many different yeah. contexts, this, this little issue showed up. And I was like, oh, self-awareness is so important. Yeah, I think, that there, I think that meditation is one way. And then there's playing games with it. Mm -hmm. Right, so I think we, we yeah, you and I do this all the time. But other improviser friends, one of the guys on our retreat, Joey, was just was always doing it. Yeah, in fact, he got in trouble at work for doing yeah, it. Commenting, too often commenting on it on what you know what's happening. But to be able to take that leap and switch perspective, sometimes even going in a layer, uh -huh. like to get in it more. Right. Uh, but I think getting facile with that, it's like you know, building neural pathways. Yeah, I think that improv is so helpful because we're constantly noticing dynamics in between people to decipher relationships and create them. So mm -hmm. we have to be aware of what what is happening so that we can build a so that we can build a reality. Right. And we need to know how to how to build that, which just makes us able to do it in real life of like yeah. noticing dynamics between people, understanding what's going on. We have that. We are meta because we are creators of relationships. So that it doesn't always translate. I don't. I don't think all improvisers are good at this. You kind of have to ask yourself to make the leap to real right. life. I think. Okay, so let me, if I might, take a meta step here oh as we're approaching the end of our cast. Yes. Oh yeah. If we use mindfulness or meditation and improv to develop this skill, we will be we potentially will be better able to enjoy or find humor in our lives and deal with the Pain. challenging yeah. emotional circumstances of our lives. And we'll also maybe get more, get smoother or more skillful at when do we just go on stage? When do we hang out in the wings thinking about what's happening and get some perspective that the practices of mindfulness and improvisation can help us do this 
meta maneuvering in a better way. Is that a, would you call it an accurate summary of what we've been saying? I think so. Okay. Okay. I think so. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to play with this more. I think it's a really important skill. Yeah, I like that idea. I like that question of when are we off stage and when are we on stage in life is a really powerful one. Like when are we just in it and when are we looking at what kind of choices we're making and whether they line up with yeah. what we want to be doing. I love the idea of having troop mates too that we can check in with. Yeah. What's Have you noticed what story we're telling? Like what story am I telling here? Yeah, totally. Getting help and yeah. relying on other people to help shape the story. Right, yeah. Cool. Always. Okay. All right. Good stuff. That's excellent. Well, thanks for those questions, and thanks for letting me chat a little bit about my trip. Oh, yeah. Before. That was fun. Yeah. That's exciting. I love hearing about it. I love, I love that the whales moment was, was the part that you did not know was coming. No and idea. that it was so rich for you. Yep. It's like remembering to leave room for what might pop up. I didn't tell you that I sacrificed potentially a bit of romance to go to Wales. I was dedicated to my improvisational battle. I was like, don't get pulled off course. Really? There's in Star Wars, there's this thing where they're attacking the Death Star, and one of the guys is like, I'm going to bail out. And the other the leader says, stay on target. Stay on target. <laughs> Were you, was your leader saying, having to my leader, keep you on target? My meta leader was like, stay with the improvisation. I have the prize. <laughs> Not that prize. Yep. So maybe someday I'll go back. <laughs> <laughs> make good on that romance that you missed. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. who knows? Great. Meta trip. <laughs> <laughs> I need a meta ticket to Europe. I need a meta ticket. All right, to be continued. To be continued, of course, as always. Yep, and uh, delight to chat with you. Delight to have you listening, folks, at home or in your car or on yeah. the beach. Or... And for big episode number 12. So thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Total pleasure to have you. Ciao. Later. folks episode number 12 in the can we hope you liked it bum, 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 bum. Uh, we have a couple of re- reference we made a couple of references to stuff in that episode that we would love to make sure we we pull out and share with you yeah we because of copyright reasons can't just insert these songs into the podcast for you which would have been nice but one of them we referenced was show the way by david wilcox mm-hmm. the american david wilcox not the canadian david wilcox they're very different people really yeah Check it out sometime. The Canadian is far friendlier and has universal health care. <laughs> He's a hard rocker. Oh, okay. The American one is a sensitive poet, wordsmith, musical bard. Oh, all right. Okay. He's, he's great. Who is the acapella group? Da Vinci's Notebook. Da Vinci's Notebook. Da Vinci's Notebook. No longer singing, but uh, you can find them online. Title of the song was the title of the song. <laughs> Fittingly. And I mentioned The Hook by Blues Traveler, which we actually have listened to between the time of recording that episode and right now. And it's not quite as strong of a of a, an example as I thought it was, I had recalled it was, but it's still a really delightful song. Check it out, The Hook by Blues Traveler. And yeah. now the question I want to ask you, dear listeners, is if you have other examples of meta 
Send them in. Send them in. Let oh us God, know. Yeah. Yeah. Because we'd, we'd be delighted to hear about them. Yeah. Always. You can reach either one of us at info at monsterbabypodcast.com. But you can also get, you know, you can email Ted at Ted at monsterbabypodcast.com or Lisa at monsterbabypodcast.com. So we, there are myriad ways to approach us. If three equals a myriad, it's a myriad. It is in this case. I almost said innumerable, but then I thought there actually it is totally numerable. numerable. It's three. Yeah. It's not innumerable <laughs> at all. I think you could probably send anything at monsterbabypodcast.com, like literally any word. Really? And it would come to send, us. Send your send your feedback to meta or to email address at monsterbabypodcast.com nice. and see if it gets to us. We'll see if it gets here. If we don't get back to you, it didn't get to us. That's right, because we promise we'll get back to you. Uh, so anyway, thank you for listening. Yeah. So on the horizon, Monster Baby Retreat next is going to be in June in Maine. So if you're itching to come and do this work with us, we hope you'll join us. It'll be kind of that first... 7th like the, to the 12th. The 7th to the 12th. So so keep that keep that marked on your calendar if you're if you're interested and that'll be on the beautiful coast of Maine. And we're cooking up some other possibilities for before then. Yeah, so we may see if we can get get one squeezed in before that happens. And who knows, maybe we'll do one in I don't know, Wales? Europe. Yeah. Mm. We'll see. Uh, so thank you so much for, for coming and we'll see you next episode. All right, we love you all. Take Bye. care. Bye.